Good morning. Excited to open up the Word of God with you this morning. If you have a Bible, open to the book of Hebrews, to chapter 3. And what we're going to begin doing this morning is actually a series we've been going through in our youth ministry the past four or five months, and it's a series called You Are, or a, uh, it's a series in Christian basics of who you are through the gospel or who you are as a Christian. And uh, we've been looking at things like you are image, you are created in the image of God to uh, represent his character and reflect his rule in this world, but because of sin we were marred, you are marred. And so we've been going through this process of showing, uh, showing our students um, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so we are going to be looking here that you are responsible out of Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. And I do want to say that this is a, a series that, I was, that was preached to me and I've, I've adapted uh, on my own. So some of this is not all my ideas. The, uh, the main point I did take and the title and the text, but the rest of it I think is mine. Uh, if we want to do a, a fact check later on, see me, we'll, we'll sit down and watch it together. But uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 3 verses 12 through 14 is where you need to be. And the statement of conviction is this, or the big idea is this, you are responsible to continually encourage one another to hold on to faith in Christ. You are responsible to continually encourage one another to hold on to faith in Christ. So let's read Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this is your word. May we be shaped by it. May your word be what defines our desires, our actions, May we be a people marked by love for one another and a love for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this, this passage in Hebrews starts with a warning. Take care, brothers. But this is not just a warning to you men in the room. It is a take care, brothers, sisters. Take care, church. Take care. Watch out. There's danger ahead. For those of you who are parents who understand that this phrase, take care, doesn't mean just be aware of the danger, but take action against it. If you were to tell your children, take care while crossing the road, you wouldn't want them to just check for cars, and if there were cars, continue on forward. No, take care means see, that the, see the cars and then wait for the cars to not be there. So there is an action that goes with this taking care. Take care, church. Our warning is, the warning is given so that not one would be lost or, ne- or left behind. What is dangerous here is not something external, but it is an evil, unbelieving heart. This is what endangers an entire congregation. This is what endangers your spiritual life. It is an evil, unbelieving heart. So what is an evil, unbelieving heart? The author wants us to look back at the people of Israel. You remember they were in Egypt. 
They were in slavery, and God sends Moses to deliver them, and he, he gives them uh, these ten plagues, these amazing supernatural events. And uh, Israel was able to leave Egypt. And as they come to the Red Sea, what does he do? He, he parts the Red Sea, and Israel walks through on dry land. And they come to the Mount of Sinai. God has led them as a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire. They come to Mount Sinai, and the presence of God comes down on the mountain. And they see the presence of God, and the people are terrified at it. And they've seen his great power. They've seen his, his abilities. And when they get to the promised land, what happens? They send in the spies, and what happens? They adopt an evil, unbelieving heart. They become suddenly afraid that God is no longer as strong as he once was. They begin to believe lies about who God is and what he can do for them. This is what an evil, unbelieving heart is. And it's easy for us to look back and be like, oh man, Israel, how did you do that? You, you saw the plagues, you saw the parting of the Red Seas, you, you saw the presence of God on Mount Sinai. How could you ever do that? And yet... As we judge or laugh at how unfaithful they were and laud our own faithfulness, the truth is each of us adopts the same evil, unbelieving heart all the time. The truth is daily, we, each time we sin, each time we don't love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we are in fact disbelieving something true about the living God. And that's evil. It is evil to disbelieve something true about the character and nature of God. And so each time we sin, what we are doing is we are believing a lie about who God is and what he can do for us or cannot do for us. Let's take a look at a few of these sins that we may commit. Perhaps we look at stealing. This is a non-hypothetical story, but perhaps you stole your sister's chocolate Easter bunny and ate it underneath her bed. I don't know what younger brother would do that. I certainly did. But the, the heart of that sin was not that I was just stealing. But the heart of that sin is that I did not trust that God was enough. That he, was, he would sustain me. That it was better for me to take care of things on my own rather than trust him to take care of me. I disbelieved in God's ability to be enough. Like Israel before me, I turned to a different God my God wasn't going to do it. Perhaps our sin is dishonesty, whether it is lying to your boss why you can't come into work today, whether it's to your spouse when you say, no, I didn't know the dishwasher was full, or to your siblings or to whoever it is, if you are dishonest, you are believing a lie that your words do not matter to God, that the truth, it is better to look good than to be honest believing a lie. And when we believe a lie, we are in sin. And the truth is we could, could and should go through all of our sinful practices in our life and look at the heart of the matter. Why do I get angry? Why do I overeat when I'm stressed? Why am I worried about what people think about me? Why am I cruel to people online? God, but no longer walk with God. So take care. Take care that you do not let sin live in your heart. Take care to not believe lies about who God is and what he has done for you. Take care because going down that path will lead you away from the living God. There's a warning, but there also is an encouragement. This warning is not just for you. It is a warning for the whole body. It is for each of you. 
because this is not just an individual problem, but this is a, a body problem. You see, the battle against a sinful, unbelieving heart is fought by the whole body together. And so it is together that we must fight it. Together we must encourage one another, exhort one another against a hardened heart. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. To exhort is to, to edify, to rebuke, to motivate, to encourage each other to be faithful to Christ. And we do this all the time. If we see a, a brother or sister uh, who's in, in constant pain and they're just getting toward the end of their life and we, we just come alongside them and say, brother, I, I know it hurts. But God is still faithful and this pain is not purposeless. He still has a great plan for you and a hope for you and so keep going. You can make it. That is to exhort. Maybe to extort, exhort not extort, that's different. Note, to exhort uh, a younger brother who's struggling with um, lust in his heart. And you come on to say, brother, I just don't know that it is good for you to read that or to watch that. I don't know if it's good for you to believe that about people. And you come along to them and you, you're rebuking them. Hey, I think you need to repent of that and come back. That is to exhort. It is to motivate them to reach the end, to be faithful, that, to continue on. You can make it. It's worth it. You're alive, and so you should live as though you are alive in Christ. And this is what it is. This is how we combat an evil, unbelieving heart, that we, are, we combat it by living in a group of people that will exhort us and encourage us. And ultimately, this is what discipleship is. Sometimes when we hear the word discipleship, we get caught up in the, the big idea of it and we assume that there's some sort of expertise you have to have or some sort of curriculum you have to go through. But discipleship is a call, or at its core, is a call to encourage brothers and sisters to faithfully follow Christ. And so this sort of discipleship doesn't require you to be an expert or to be pastors or even older, but what it requires is two people to be walking on the same path, the same place, and say, hey, we can make it. Let's get there together. Hold on to Christ. And attached to this is the phrase one another. When we see one another in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, we should, we should think of this gathering, this body. One another means the church. And the church is not a building, but it is the people. It is the people of God who have been pulled out of this world and placed as his bride, as his people. You are the church. We are the church. And some of you come to this gathering based upon whether you feel like you need it or not. Like, if you had a really bad night of sleep, you're like, man, what I really need is just to sleep through church today. Or if you had a really good week, man, this week was so well, my kids were obedient, and uh, steak was on sale yesterday at the grocery store, and I got some real cheap, and, you know, my life is really good right now. I don't need church this morning because my life is going pretty well. Sometimes that's the way we approach church. But what if Coming to gather with the body is not about what you need, but what about somebody else needs. Could you wake up on a morning knowing who would benefit from having you there? Could you wake up on a Sunday morning knowing what encouragement you could be to the people sitting behind you or in front of you? Even if it's not an explicit thing you do, but they just see you there and like, man, John Leaf is here. What an encouragement. I got to sit in front of him and hear him sing. What a blessing. 
And Chad's kids are here. Their parents aren't even here, and they're here. What an encouragement that is. He's not here. He can't talk about it. What I'm trying to say is that you are responsible to be present with the church. You are not only responsible for your own spiritual walk, but you're responsible to encourage this gathering, this local body. And I know that's so easy to think of church as just a, a product that serves you best. You know, I, I came to this church, well, maybe you came to this church because you like the carpet or the music or the children's ministry or the preaching. It's not wrong. But to be a member of a church is not to just come, enjoy the service, and leave. There's a call to be involved, to be present. Not easy, it's not clean, it's not fun to come to a to brother and rebuke him for lustful heart or come along a sister as she's suffering, but this is what it means to be a part of God's church, to be a part of his body. And some of you are maybe sitting there thinking, This is not what I signed up for. I, I, I came to Jesus, I, I, I like this church thing, but to ask me to be involved in somebody else's life or let them be involved in my life, let them rebuke me, man, that is not what I signed up for. I guess my response to you is, Yeah, you did. Christ has died for you, and in his death he has called you to die for yourselves, die to yourselves, meaning that we die to our own pursuits. We die to our own preferences, to our own comfortability in being saved from sin, being saved from death, saved from separation from God and destruction. We are called to be with one another, to care for one another, to serve one another, to love one another. Discipleship is a responsibility God has given to each one of us to care for the health of his church. So when do we do this? Is it just on Sundays or, or Wednesdays? Some of you are thinking, is he just up here to ask for volunteers for Awana and VBS? No, you should, but no. This is a every day, as long as it is called today. Our call is that we would be daily looking out for our brothers and sisters, encouraging them to be faithful. It means that you come, when you come to a gathering on Sunday, when you're singing, you're not just singing to God, but you are singing for the edification and encouragement of this church. When you see another brother or sister suffering or hurting, hurting, suffering, discouraged, going and praying for them. And just a, like a, a free tip for you, like when you say you're going to pray for somebody and then you go home and never do, I mean, how many of you have done that? You can all raise your hand. I mean, we, we've all done that. Why not just in that moment say, let me pray for you right now? That way you don't forget, and that way they get to hear the prayer. This is the call. This is a call to a consistent, constant care for the body, care for the health of the church. I mean, honestly, if you had gotten a sliver in your foot and it was causing you pain, would you leave it there? No, you would pull it out. You would clean the wound so it doesn't get infected and cause more pain. So too is the case here. We should be daily looking out for the members of this church for the sake of this church. Our failure to exhort one another puts each person at risk of falling away because of the deceitfulness of sin. If I see the sin of a brother or the discouragement of a sister and I do nothing, I am putting them at risk of being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That hardening is what leads people to walk away from God. And if I do nothing, if you do nothing, if we do nothing for one another, if we are not encouraging each other daily, then we are at risk of letting someone fall. 
you have a responsibility. And it isn't even just for them. I mean, how many families have we seen torn apart because a father or mother or child began to believe the lies of sin? How many stories have you heard about ministries and churches torn apart because someone began to be hardened by, hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and no one would come to them and encourage them? No one would come to them and exhort them. We need this. And so it is each of us called to be present in one another's life to encourage each other towards faithfulness. And this is why it's so important that you, you know the church, why you know people. This is why we serve alongside one another and get to know one another because if you come along and say, hi, my name is this, I think you're doing this wrong, it comes off a little cranky. I mean, honestly, I probably deserve it most of the time. But this is why it's so important to be building these relationships in the good times and the bad times so you can encourage them when things are going well and so you can encourage them when things are going poorly. This is a daily thing to be present in one another's life. The flip side of that is when someone comes to you and and encourages you, whether positively or negatively, there's a call to love them and be kind to them in that. They're not rebuking you because it's particularly fun to go up to someone and say, hey, I think you're wrong. But they're doing it because they love you. And they love this church. And so it is their responsibility to do so. Well, there is a, a great danger presented here and a great responsibility for each of us. There is an, a confidence, a firm confidence that we have. The truth is that we who are in Christ are in Christ, that the power of the gospel is, in fact, life-altering. It doesn't leave you where it comes to you. It changes our hearts. It changes our actions. It changes our desires so that they are no longer selfish. This is why we have retired brothers and sisters in this church who will teach Sunday school to three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, year after year after year after year, giving up their retirement for the sake of the body. This is why last week was so encouraging to all of you that high schoolers going and serving and proclaiming the gospel is so significant because it is evidence of that, and that is encouragement to us, isn't it? The gospel of Jesus Christ changes us it brought us together, it binds us together, and if you are here this morning, you have shared in Christ's resurrection, then you are not alone in your walk. Your spiritual life is not a, a lone John Wayne, Clint Eastwood type of thing. We are together in this. You are brothers and sisters, and so you, you are called is to walk with them, alongside them, to push them, to pull them, to be pushed by them, to be pulled by them, to build each other into greater faithfulness to Christ. The last line of this section is if we hold our original confidence firm to the end, it is, I think, also appropriate to say since. Since we hold our original confidence firm to the end. In Pilgrim's Progress, once again, Pilgrim faces trials, faces enemies, spiritual warfare, distractions, things that pull at its heart, easy life. He has one thing that he carries with him to the end, and it's a scroll. The scroll is a reminder of who took his burden and who paid his cost. The one that clothed him with righteousness and sealed his entrance into the celestial city 
our confidence, what we bring to the end is not what we bring to the table. It's not how many church services we go to, not how many Sunday schools we led, it's not how many, much money we have, not how, many, how good our kids' lives are, but our confidence is in the one who looked at poor, heavy-laden pilgrims like us and died for us. And because he died for us, we are free. And because he not only died but rose again, we are, have also risen again. So we have life and life abundantly. And so we are called to live as free and alive. And one of the ways we do that is by being actively involved in his people. This is a gathering of people who were once dead and are alive. And you have a responsibility to one another, to love one another, to care for one another, to encourage one another. And so what I, what I started with is that statement. You are responsible to continually encourage one another to hold on to faith in Christ. You are responsible to the people sitting in front of you, behind you, next to you, the people in second service and first service, the people down in nursery, the little kids in the nursery. You are responsible to encourage them. And I am thankful that this church is a, a loving church, a church that is involved in each other's life. But this is what it means to be a discipling church. Quite honestly, Jesus talks about this. They will know we are Christians by what? Our love. It's our love for one another. The way we love one another is our evangelism. This is how we show people what is truly important. If we are unwilling to be involved in each other's lives, we are unwilling to do that, we are unwilling to partake in the gospel fully. This is good news. I know that my tone doesn't always communicate that this is good news, but this is good news, that we are not alone, that we have each other, that we can build each other up so that we can reach the end, that one day we would come to the gate of heaven and we could say, look, we made it together. I was able to encourage them. They were able to encourage me, and I, I can point out specific points in my life where older or younger brothers and sisters have come alongside of me and said, this is how you be more faithful. We need that. Each of us need that in our life. And so I would encourage you this morning, you are responsible to continually, daily, be present in each other's lives and encourage one another to hold on to faith in Christ. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we come this morning as your people. We come as your people, and God, I pray that we would live as your people, that we would live with the same care for this church, for this body that you have. God, you found it important enough to die so that we could be gathered, so that we could have this relationship with you and have this relationship with each other. And so, God, I pray that we would die to ourselves, that we would live for one another, and we would live for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.